Yeah. Day to day we moving, it's a steady cadence. Every day pursue it, change your situation. Everything we do, we do it not complacent. Heavy conversation, so many spaces. That's Don Talk, it's Don Talk. Heavy conversation, so many spaces. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Don Talk. I am your host, Dante, aka Zet the Vet. Man, today riding with us, we have LJ, D Ray, and Burke. And today we're bringing another interview. Today's subject matter is air traffic control with yours truly. I am an air traffic controller at Dallas Love Airport. I've been in this profession for 15 years now. Uh, 10 years with the United States Navy where I controlled airplanes on both the ship and shore duty. One year of Department of Defense DOD controlling and four years so far in the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. I learned about air traffic control when I was in college. I wish I would have learned more about it when I was in high school. Um, Honestly, I wish we would have been more educated on aviation jobs in general because there's a major world out there that's purposely, I feel like purposely not being exposed to us. Um, but that being said, I'll go ahead and ask me some questions and I'll tell y'all why I uh, love air traffic control, why I chose it as a profession. How did you want, how did you know you wanted to get into air traffic control and, and what kind of led you down that path? Was it when, was it your time in, in, in the army that kind of made you fall in love with airplanes or was it before then? <laughs> yeah, bro. So I was in the Navy though, but, um, Navy. I grew up in a town called Spencer, Oklahoma. And, um, there's a base called uh, Tinker Air Force Base just to the south in Midwest City. There's a thing called a final. And what the final is, is the last 10 miles before an airport. So the last 10 miles from the uh, airport, uh, Tinker Air Force Base is runs right across Spencer. So every single day there was airplanes flying over my house. So I knew as a youngster that something about me was calling to those airplanes. I didn't know till later that I was afraid of heights. So to answer your question, <laughs> exactly, right? So to answer your question, what called me to air traffic control? Honestly, I don't know. I knew I wanted to work with planes. I knew I was afraid of heights. I knew I didn't like working with my hands. So I go to the Air Force recruiter and I told the Air Force, hey, I want to do something with planes. And the Air Force recruiter told me, okay, well, we can sign you up. You're looking at about an 18-month hold before you can get into the, uh, to the boot camp. And I said, okay, cool. I go back to work. I talked to one of my coworkers who was actually going to the Navy. And he said, hey, come with me to the Navy. We're going to have a, a buddy program and you'll start off with a higher rank if you accept. Cool. So I do that. I go to the uh, Navy recruiter. I talk to that gentleman. He brings out a whole book of aviation jobs. So I told him, hey, man, I love planes. I want to do something with planes when I'm afraid of heights. I don't want to be a pilot or a co-pilot. He opens the book, shows the several jobs. Say he can be a mechanic. I said, no, I don't want to do that. He said, you can be a lineman. No, I don't want to do that. Check this now, air traffic control. Also, we're going to give you a $20,000 sign-on bonus. If you pick this job, just take the ASVAB. You get a good enough score, you're in the door. It's like, okay, cool. But I, you know, I want to go to the Air Force. They told me you know, I can go and just be about an 18-month wait. And he was like, no, don't do that. The Navy has more airplanes than the Air Force does. Wow. Wow. That would no, make no sense. Well, I mean, I guess 
Was it because we attacked from the, you know, from the sea is the reason being or? Correct. Correct. Exactly. The, the aircraft uh, carrier itself. Yep. That was, that's the main reason. Now that brings me on to how to become an air traffic controller. So let me just talk about that really quickly. There's three avenues you can go to become one. Number one, you can go to school for AT degree. Um, that is to basically learn how to be an air traffic controller in the civilian sector. What you're gonna do with that degree is you can apply to three different elements. Is There is the um, civilian air traffic control contract jobs. That is not FAA regulated. That is ran by civilian contractors just like um, most of your small airports where small planes like Cessnas or whatnot would utilize. The uh, option B is getting your degree and applying directly to an airliner and they will hire you as an individual employee so you can work for them. Like there's helicopter uh, units that do that as well. So that's two. Uh, another avenue is working overseas as an air traffic controller. And then the fourth route is what I did. So you can go through the military and go through the military schoolhouse and get your certifications that way, then go to the FAA. And the last avenue, which is the most popular, is directly to the FAA Academy in Oklahoma City. They're going to mm -hmm. hire approximately once a year, sometimes twice. You have to be before the age of 31. And you have to um, obviously apply, get accepted, take several air traffic control tests. Then you go to their nine-month school. So my school. So you have to be a certain age to do this. Correct. So there's the. So I'm gonna take a step back with all That's four crazy. of those avenues. Okay, with all four of those avenues, 31 is your is your your end all be all. Okay. Now the first two avenues you can go as long as you want because those are contracted. FAA requires 31. Now if you do what I did, the military, you have to uh, be out before you're 31 and picked up, but they extended that to 35 because we have prior experience. Hmm. So you have to have the prior experience in order to go up to 35, basically. Correct. Correct. Yeah. For the age waiver from 31 yeah. to 35, you have to have prior experience at least 52 weeks or one year. I'm, I'm going to make an obvious question. Uh, I, I worked in the Navy, obviously. I worked in aviation, so I know a little bit about air traffic controllers. But let's go ahead and get this myth out the way, my man. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Me being the plane captain, I was the one who was in front of the aircraft doing all of this. So please explain to the people how that's not air traffic controllers and what exactly it is the air traffic air traffic controllers actually do. Exactly, it's, so, it's not the people that are doing the batons in front of or the those are plane sticks, captains. Those are yeah. plane captains and linemen. I used that to. Is, uh, I'm not an air traffic controller. That is okay. correct. So that is the number one um, myth. Whenever I tell someone I'm an air traffic controller the majority of the time they say two things, either A, that's the most stressful job in the world, or B, are you the guy with the orange cones waving people in? And I tell them, no, those are linemen, signalmen, or captains. Those individuals are the ones that's in charge of parking the airplanes, backing the airplanes up. Here's something that you might not have known. Airplanes don't have reverse. They also are the ones that's doing your luggage. They're going to be the ones that's making sure all of the structural appearance of the aircraft is set for flight. Now, that's not me. Uh, air traffic controllers are in three different elements. So we are in the tower, and we have two different versions of radar. The way that I explain it to um, anyone 
is think about it as a tuna can. That is going to be tower. In that little tuna can, you're going to have three to four jobs. Number one would be clearance delivery. Inside clearance delivery is they're the ones who work with the pilots to get their roadmaps. Everything is a GPS roadmap. Just like when you drive from Florida to California, you're going to take I-10 for the most part. They're going to do the same thing in the airplane. The pilot has to put together a roadmap on our nav, if you will. So what they're going to do on that roadmap, they're going to go from, from Miami to New Orleans to Dallas to Phoenix to LAX to Los Angeles. Okay. Now what clearance delivery is going to do is they're going to verify that that speed, altitude, and timing are all good. Now, if there's weather throughout that whole Texas, Louisiana area, they'll say, hey, go from Miami straight to Memphis, over to Denver, and then to L.A. So they're going to be the ones that's going to do your routing. Now, the reason why- So the air traffic controller is the reason I got three stops before I get to my destination. Well, no, that's the airplane's um, routing. That's the airplane's roadmap, okay? Okay. So clearance is going to be the one who makes sure that roadmap is good. Now, your question about layovers- so every airplane has a certain time frame and a certain number of legs that they're allowed to go. So some of those nonstops, what I just explained to you was a nonstop. Um, yeah. The next question you just had, layovers. Those are going to be going from certain airports that does not have nonstop. So you're going to tie into the, one of the major ones. So you got your Atlanta, your Chicago, your Denver, your Houston. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's clearance. The next job is ground. Ground is what puts you in line. So once you're in the airplane and you're sitting there, the plane starts moving, you move towards the um, runway. If you notice before you look around, you'll see several planes in front of you and several planes behind you because once again, you're in line. So ground will taxi you to the runway. So, So the next controller is called the tower controller or local controller. That's the one that's the most simple. That's the one that takes planes off and lands. Clear for takeoff, clear to land. That's the ones you see on TV. And then there's the last job, which is a supervisor. So the way the tower works is, is a, think of a block of Swiss cheese. If you take a piece of cheese individually, there's going to be lots of holes in it. If you put that layers together, you won't see through that cheese. So every single one of those personnel in that tower are important for the whole unit to make sure we don't have any holes in our operation. Okay, so that was the tower. That was the tuna can. The next element is going to be arrival departure. Think of that as a hot tub. So take the hot tub, turn it upside down on top of that tuna can. Now, the tower's airspace is going to give you five miles ring, 10 miles maximum, up to 10,000 feet, sometimes 5,000, sometimes 10,000. Arrival departure, Tricon airspace, they have 80 miles, so a 40-mile radius. So So that's how much bigger that is. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to be the ones that's departing the airplanes and climbing them, also bringing airplanes in and lowering them to land. Now, that 10-mile funnel that I told y'all about as a kid, that's going to be a rival. They're going to be the ones that's going to get you to the airport of intended landing in a simple form. And then there's one last element. Think of a swimming pool on top of that hot tub. That's going to be whenever you're in the plane and the pilot says, hey, we've reached cruising altitude you're now talking to a center controller. They're gonna have the hugest airspace 
they're going to be the ones that's going to put you at the altitude where you're going to not change for a while. And let's say, let's go back to our roadmap. So with Tower, you're going to leave Miami. With departure, you're going to go from Miami on course to New Orleans. When you're on centers, you're going to be New Orleans to um, Dallas to Phoenix before you leave centers airspace. Um, they're so big that you're only going to talk to two centers throughout your whole trip across the United States. And then once again, the this process repeats itself in reverse order. So once you leave Phoenix, you go to Los Angeles, you're going to go to an arrival controller. So you're going to leave the swimming pool, get back in the hot tub. You're going to land at LAX. You're going to leave the hot tub and get back into the tuna can. So realistically, then most people never actually see our traffic controllers then. No, no. Not in, a, in a tower, right? You will see our tower. We have several towers. A lot of times there's a, gra uh, a ground tower and obviously the tower, air traffic control, local control tower. Um, there's also quite often, many times your radar is at the bottom of the tower. But no, you will never see us. So is that like what a normal day looks like in the in air in 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 your business? Is that what a normal day looks and sounds yes. like? Yes, it is a multifaceted operation. We depend on each other one hundred percent. See, it's I like that. About, it's kind of like a football team. It is. It, it's an assembly line, and it has to be perfect. I put it like this: When's the last time you heard of an aerial collision? Right. You've right. never heard of it, right? That means we've been doing a great job. Now, there's right. planes that land, that land wrong and crash, planes that, that sleep, pilots uh, may fall asleep in the aircraft and they'll crash in yeah. Mexico now, have you two ever, years ago. Now, have you ever been involved with any of that? Unfortunately, I have a fatality on my record. Unfortunately, I do. There's a small airport in northwest Oklahoma City by Northwest Expressway called Sundance. Um, I had two individuals who uh, went to land at that airport I had a certain aircraft airliner uh, land at the airport that I was currently working at that, that, that time. And um, the uh, pilot and the co-pilot made it past the uh, aircraft safely. So there's a thing called wake turbulence. Whenever you're in a small airplane and you pass behind a larger airplane, we're required to extend our spacing to obviously make sure you're not blown away. So, so put yourself in the driver's seat of a Altima and you're passing behind a semi-truck. You're going to feel a little push. Now you pass them on the left or right side, you're going to feel a huger push. That happens in the air with the smaller aircraft and a imagine. bigger aircraft. So I did my job. I made sure that the, um, the pilot and the co-pilot's uh, Cessna aircraft was above the uh, airliner's aircraft. And therefore, they were not subject to the wake turbulence. The uh, pilot told me that they saw their airport. I did my job to, to the best of my ability. I told him about everything else that was going on between him and the uh, airport of attendant landing. And I let him go to the, his own frequency. Uh, next thing I see on the news is that pilot and their co-pilot were fatally uh, uh, injured in a crash during their landing. So mm -hmm. what happens was they, um, their gear did not go down. So what they tried to do was land it on um, the side of the runway on the grass. What happened was the wing hit first and the uh, aircraft actually tumbled. So unfortunately, yes, sir, I, I have firsthand experience. They're going to say that every air traffic controller that if you've, if you've made a career, you've talked to someone for the last time, unfortunately. Uh -huh. Yeah.
That's just yeah, that's aviation maintenance as well. It's it sucks that it happens. Is you know what I mean? You can't really do much about it, which is probably one of the reasons why that's like one of the most stressful jobs. You know, aviation in general, I know yeah. is extremely, extremely it's stressful. Much you know, higher share have- in the military. Yes, the military has a lot more fatalities because they do a lot more um, testing, if you will. They do a lot more things that a civilian pilot carrying multiple passengers would not ever try. Um, what you would hit will hear in civilian sectors. Uh, imagine Aaliyah. Um, sometimes you'll have an aircraft where the luggage or the personnel is not balanced correctly and mm-hmm. they'll they won't be able to sustain flight. But that's not really an air traffic control Correct. issue. That's more of a, a pilot error or a maintenance error, Correct. which that, that always falls back on people like me. Uh, when it's like, yeah, you did, you did something wrong. Yeah, that, I've heard about that one. That was a pilot error. And, did, and by the way, did you ever find, did we find out more about that story? Uh, yes. So what happened was there is a, okay, so air traffic controllers were required to study weather. We're also very in tune with the weather. Um, so there's a lot of math and science in obviously reading an air traffic controller as being an air traffic controller, but also you have to know the weather. So with the weather, there is a lot of issues for pilots. Not every pilot has a license to fly when there's super cloud, thunder, uh, precipitation, um, low fog, um, things of that nature. Not every pilot is rated. It's called IFR and IMC. That means instrument flight rules. Um, They're not all rated. So the pilot for uh, Mr. Bryant was not rated IFR. Uh, he was rated VFR. That means visual visual flight rules. That means they can fly anywhere they can see. So that pilot ran into a situation where it was very foggy and very cloudy. And, and since he wasn't IFR rated, what he decided to do was, I'm going to get lower and I'm going to get closer to some air traffic controllers because um, they're going to help me. And obviously that's my job. My job is to help anybody in the air, anybody that dials my frequency, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you out. No matter if you're supposed to be on my frequency or not, I'm going to do my best to make sure you get home safely. So this this individual was not able to get a hold of air traffic control because our signals work as what's called a line of sight. So imagine a cereal bowl, you turn it upside down. Our signal is going to go all that those radials, okay? Now, Mm -hmm. if you're below that cereal bowl, like a bowl haircut, if you're below that line, you're not going to get us. So that pilot chose to stay lower because- So they they, they was in the no-fly zone. I mean, they was in, I mean- uh, It wasn't necessarily no-fly zone. It was no-fly zone. The frequency range. Yes. But yeah, so they was underneath. Just be 500 feet above any structure. So if you look downtown, you'll see that red blinking light. That means there's a structure there, stay 500 feet above it. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I didn't mean like a no-fly zone. I meant like he was below the fly area of where the waves was at. Correct. And being a helicopter, they have that ability. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you're not going to reach air traffic control. Also, yes. keep in mind, since it is line of sight, um, if there's a lot of precipitation, your radar, sorry, <laughs> your um, radio wave may not be as strong as normal. So that's what happened. It's just, that, just that like pilot, it's just like it with your car radio. Like you know, what I'm saying, if you are outside of a certain range and you you can't connect to you know your favorite station, 
you know, you got to drive 30 more minutes a certain direction, and all of a sudden you get it. Or just you know, go up a hill. UHF, VHF, right. Go up a hill. That's the better thing to do because you get closer to where the signal's coming in. You know, and if you're trying to connect to a V8 to a VHF and you or UHF, but you're like too high, too low, it just doesn't work. And there's so many, there were 10 different frequencies. So he could have been, you know, trying to connect to just simply the wrong one. And he probably was talking to a radio station for all he knew instead of talking to air traffic controllers. Well, pilots aren't aren't going to do that if they're in a situation where they need help they're going to use the guard frequencies which are pretty much aerial 911 we have a uhf okay. and a bhf aerial 911 that were required required to monitor and record so if that pilot was able to get up maybe another 200 feet he probably would have been okay now is there big differences between helicopters and yes okay. yeah, so so we're not let's go back to the roadmap so uh-huh. when I told you guys about the roadmap, I told you that clearance is required to make sure that those pilots are on certain altitudes during their flight. Helicopters mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to abide by that. So mm-hmm. when it comes to airliners in a center's airspace, they're going to keep your planes at least five miles from another plane. Whenever you're in that hot tub, Tracon airspace, you're going to stay at least three. Oh, helicopters be tuna side can. by side. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Whenever you're in that tuna can, that tower's airspace, you're required only a mile and a half laterally, so they can be staggered. With helicopters, they can be side by side, like Mr. Uh, LJ just mentioned. Their only wow. requirement is 500 feet, unless they're military or they're in a flight formation where they can assume their own laws, if you will. So, uh, so it's, it's a, it seems like it's a so which way which one do you think would be easier because uh I mean sorry. I worked on helicopters yeah. all the time so I would assume that helicopters would be a lot harder to deal with because they got less yeah. rules they have to follow. That's actually better because so we have a manual bigger than the Bible. We have to know <laughs> all of these rules and all of these uh things that we have to keep in mind when it comes to a helicopter because they have less rules. There's more fair game. Hey, just stay 500 feet away from this plane. Do not overfly any people. Said and done. All right. The good thing about plane, I mean, sorry, helicopters, is if we have several aircraft liners coming in, we can tell that helicopter, hey, to hover there or hold position. The good thing about a helicopter is they can literally stop on a dime, come Mm -hmm. in whenever we want them to. Another great thing about air traffic control, keep in mind what happened on 9-11, uh, once those uh, the second aircraft uh, struck the tower, within 45 minutes, 45 minutes, the air traffic controllers across the nation had every single airplane on the ground in the nation except for the military. So imagine being in Houston, driving around in Houston and taking every single one of those cars off the freeway and parking them within 45 minutes. That's how amazing air traffic controllers are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and that's <laughs> I can't even go begin to think about how much uh, detail goes into being um, in that that tower. And how I think meticulous you gotta have to be, mm-hmm. uh, make so, sure that things are always going the right way, and so that everybody's communicating. So I mean, it's correct. It's, tower, tower, you have to keep your head on a swivel. So, yeah. like I told you, the the tower position, which is air traffic control um, local position, that one is the one that does take off and landing. Their 
their job seems the easiest, seems to be the easiest, but it's actually one of the hardest because we have to make sure that no one's on the runway. We have to make sure that only one plane is on the runway at a time. Uh, and keep in mind, uh, busy airports, there's planes landing every 45 seconds. So we have to make sure there's only one plane on time, make sure that there's no one crossing, no one, no uh, animals. Um, but once again, going back to that Swiss cheese mentality, ground and clearance are also helping the tower controller out looking out the window to make sure that they don't have anybody crossing the two close to the runway line or anyone delaying their takeoff or landing roll. That's, okay. That's interesting. Okay, so why would you recommend somebody get into air traffic control so the reason why i recommend air traffic control is because people doesn't don't know about it uh this is one of the highest paying jobs in the world not requiring a college degree because hmm. <laughs> i tell my kids at school hey college is not for everybody and i don't think you know you have to go to college to be successful correct right. so yeah, that's I a mean, different that's... topic for another day but how i feel right. about college I feel like that trains people to learn how to work for someone, mm-hmm. but that's just a different uh, thing as school. far as that goes. Whenever you, like, once again, you can go and become an air traffic controller via college. So that's not a complete close the door on college. Right. It's just one of those um, jobs that you can make $200,000 a year in like New York or, or Oakland center, like they make, and you don't have to have nothing but a GED or a high school diploma. Right. What about getting like a clearance? Like, would you need have to get like be a, Would you be able to have to get like a secret clearance, top secret clearance? Do you need any of that kind of stuff, or like, what if you have like a bad record, bad background? Can you still get into the field? That is correct. So, in the military, we were required to do a secret clearance every ten years. We are required to do a background check. Um, there's also top secret for when we go overseas and we do our mission work, like when I was with the Marine Corps. And um, I help set up runways in countries that I can't mention. And I help with units of the Marine Corps in places that I cannot mention. Um, so there are times when we do our, we are required a top secret. But air traffic control in general is just a secret clearance on the military side. When it comes to civilian side, it's called a public trust. Once again, that's also done every 10 years. And that means that you cannot have a record. And if you do end up with a misdemeanor or something like that, it has to be something that's not going to degrade the community, if you will. No domestic violence, nothing of that nature. Um, no attempting anything like that. Um, right. Also, we cannot uh, consume any um, non-prescription drugs. Um, also, there's many prescriptions that we're not allowed to take. In a nutshell, we cannot take anything that's going to change our mindset. Now, people say alcohol. Alcohol does change your mindset. We have a 12-hour rule. So if you show up to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, your last sip of alcohol needs to be at 7.59 p.m. And we do test. We test randomly because as you guys in that first-class coach um, seats, you're expecting me to be mentally ready to make sure you make it to your destination safely. So what's up with the age requirement thing? Why is it that? Why are they so, you know, ageist? Okay, okay because um, it's a proven fact, the older you get, the um, less mind capacity you are able to, uh, to utilize. So there is a required retirement FAA age of 56. Wow. 56, okay? So at Must 31, nice. we can still get 25 years out of you. 
You, you feel mm. me? So you can get a full retirement. So um, you can start at 19 um, and work all the way till you're 56. But like I said, it's a proven fact. As you get older, your, your brain doesn't work as fast as it normally would at a younger age. And one of our skill sets that are not tested is the ability to be quick, quick witted, quick thinking, critical thinking on the fly because things go wrong and we have to fix it immediately. Okay, uh, I wanted to ask, uh, like as far as uh, just the position that you got or that you in with air traffic control, what's your what's your main goal? What are you trying to accomplish as far as uh, where are you in? Are you trying to move up? What are you trying to, um, I guess, what's your long-term goal in the position that you're in now? All right, so I'm going to talk to you from a basketball analysis. To me, the yeah. uh, FAA was like the NBA. Um, okay. Obviously, like high school to college, I would say that'd be my military time to the DOD time. Right. I would say that'd be like the military, it'd be like the high school, DOD be like the college, and then going to the FAA be like the making it to the NBA. So I kind of have that kind of mind frame as far as the world I want to go next. I'm yeah. low key happy. I'm, I'm happy to, to be at this point. And I okay. think that maybe I'm just like a young NBA player where I don't realize it's time to go for a championship just yet. Gotcha. Um, so I'm, I consider myself being a second year player looking for that sophomore jump. But yeah, at, at some point, I know it's going to be very important for me in my career to go for a supervisor position. I move up to a major level facility. Gotcha. Now, one thing about the air traffic, air traffic control is um, that time management. What what does that – we talked about the typical day, what it looks like. Um, and you talked a little bit about how you got into it, but as far as, like, that time management with learning all that stuff and having a mentor and, and breaking that down, how do you get into it with that, the, the time management? How do you – know how to break it down, I guess, um, with the air traffic. Is there a lot of panels or do you have to, how long is the classes and what do you do to help you get into that situation? So you're prepared. So the school itself is approximately nine months long. Uh, that's just, you know, you're going to be away from your family. You're going to be in a school situation scenario, almost like college. Uh, but you really don't learn anything until you get into the field. It's very much a hands-on job. You uh, will always be under the supervision of someone else, no matter if you're qualified or not. But during your time in training, it could take up to three years, man. You're going to be plugged in with someone who is certified on that position. And at the end of the day, you're borrowing that position from that person. So they're going to make sure that you are up to their standard. Um, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of time invested. It's a lot of time um, plugging in, talking to airplanes, getting those nerves out. It's a lot of studying. You have to learn so much. And it's a lot of time with the family and away from the family. Their family has to be committed to helping you learn because yeah. this mm. is one of those jobs. Unfortunately, sometimes you take it home with you and yeah. you have to have. That's kind of my question, you know, with yeah. sorry to cut you off, but that's exactly with, with, you know, being a coach, you know, sometimes you go. So that's, that was, that was what I was kind of looking for. You know, I can wake up at five 30 in the morning and then I get home at 9.30 at night on a typical, you know, coaching fall, right? So that's kind of what I was looking at, time management with family and all that good stuff. So I, I appreciate you, uh, yeah, touching on that, Dante. Hey, no problem, sir. But uh, 
to continue on that, man, you got to have a foundation at home that's got your back. So, you know, they see you after a rough day. Hey, what, what happened today? Let's talk about it. Or you got a situation where like, hey, uh, have you been struggling or what's going on? You doing good? And they just hit you with some random flashcards, you know, keep you on your toes. It's like a pop quiz like you guys do in the education field. It's always good to have it because it's never going to be a situation where you know enough. Gotcha. So always learning. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you guys as the customers expect me to constantly be highly educated on the field. You guys are trusting me with your life and you don't even realize it. So you don't want to think about me not being on my P's and Q's that day. Right. Yeah, right. You know, I can have a bad day at, at school, but you having a day at the office could mean lives. So, um, right. no, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate every oh. like, air traffic control uh, tower after after this entire conversation. It just goes to show just how important um, every aspect of the game is. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. And they do call it the mo- one of the most stressful jobs. Yes, sir. Um, I'm not going to lie. It is stressful. Okay. You got to be able to, like I said, have a support team. You got to be able to manage. Uh, luckily, being in the military, another one of the number one stressful jobs in the world. Um, I learned how to cope with stress a lot earlier and which prepared me more for this position I'm in now. But like right. I tell people, every single job you do in the world is stressful. If you yeah. allow it to be, you know, every single thing that you do, you can allow stress to overcome you. It's just a way you have to be mentally um, suited for it, either spiritually or mentally or whatever can help you get through that. Gotcha. That's good. Do you guys um, do you guys have a lot of I guess what's uh, kind of the youngest age that I mean that you've seen? 19. 19. Um, Yes, I've seen 18 in the military. The youngest FAs is 19. Okay. Yeah, so it don't matter. You can come in straight out of high school. Right. And and honestly, would you say that that would be the best time? I mean, just to soak up everything. Okay. That experience. I'm be selfish and speak from a young male's perspective. Okay. I think that we should wait till we're about 22. Um, okay. Only because men make a lot of mistakes between that 18 and 22, that college time frame. So Gosh. I would highly recommend you seek college first, Gosh. you know, before you jump right into something that's this much weighing on your shoulders. Gotcha. Um, I mean, not, not get me wrong. There's people out there that's ready at 16. I, I get right. it. I'm just right. speaking for myself personally. Before I was 22, I probably shouldn't have been doing air traffic control. I'm not saying I wasn't able to do it. I was. I learned it. I'm glad I did. Right. But I'm, I'm glad I started at 21 versus starting at 18. Gotcha. Gotcha. And honestly, a lot of young people, I mean, them college years, them is in this them is important as far as um, I mean, it's responsibility, but you still learning at the same time. So your mind is not fully there, uh, so to speak. Um to where, like you said, some people can handle it, but a lot of people, you know, be better off maybe waiting until they're a little bit older but okay all right well y'all got any more questions related to air traffic control or anything like that well i just want y'all to know that uh there is more to do to to life than the typical stereotypes of african-american young men i want y'all to know that any aviation job at all is is a gift that's it's a really a treasure that hasn't been found in our community, uh, it's mostly white men. 
we need to color it up. You hear me? We need to bring some some black youth to this to this movement. We need to expand our horizons and and bring back and plant seeds into our communities, into our right. youth. We need to go into the high schools and just shake hands and show face, you know, because a lot of people don't know that we exist, which, I mean, like I told you before, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but it's a bad thing because I had no role models in this particular fashion as a child, and I wish I did. So I really want to give it back to our youth and our community and let them know that, you know, black men can be on top. You can be a young black man telling the pilot what to do. Everyone claps when the pilot lands, but you could be the one telling that pilot where to go and how to do it and when to do it. So make a boss move like that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining Don Talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you so much. Yeah, day to day we moving, it's a steady cadence. Every day pursue it, change your situation. Everything we do, we do it not complacent. Heavy conversation, so many spaces. That's Don Talk, it's Don Talk. Heavy conversation, uplift our nation.